web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and thank you for downloading this latest episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. My name is John Wilson. This is another lost episode that I'm releasing that was recorded some five years ago. Uh, this is going to be episode 39 of the show. We're covering Amazing Spider-Man number 51. I have along with me in the episode my good friends Josh Bertoni and Don Grant. And Stephen Lacey is a guest again this episode like he was last time. If you are new to these lost episodes or just picking us up after a while off, I just want to remind you that um, there are several episodes that we recorded many years ago. And those are what I'm releasing now as part of the show's revival. I'm going to do this episode and then one more old recording covering Amazing Spider-Man 52. And then I'll be doing an episode where I go through and clean out the email inbox. All emails can be addressed to Amazing Spider-Man Classics at gmail.com. And after that email episode, you'll be hearing brand new episodes from 2016 where new friends are helping me with my journey through Amazing Spider-Man in the 1960s. So, I hope your appetite is whetted for some classic Spider-Man goodness. And without further ado, here is myself. And so now we're going to take a look at the book for this episode, which is Amazing Spider-Man issue 51, which was released on or around May 9th, 1967, with a cover date of August. And Donovan Grant, the man with the plan, is going to tell us what Stan has written down. With his hand. Yes. Okay. I thought he rolled with his feet. Approved by the Comics Code Authority. In the clutches of the King the Amazing Spider-Man number 51. The cover shows a uh, bent-over-forward Spider-Man uh, in pain, obviously, because the Kingpin has obviously bonked him on the head or other things. As he's surrounded by the Kingpin of Crime and a bunch of rustled-up thugs who are cocking their guns in mystery. So, the Amazing Spider-Man in the clutches of the Kingpin. What's that? The city his? Not if Stan Lee and John Romita can do anything about it. As the splash image is a gigantic kingpin of crime crushing the entire city of New York. Take that, Bolarama. Take that, convenience smart. Take that, nuclear power play. Oh, fiddlestick. At last. With Spider-Man gone, the city is mine. So we see the kingpin uh, crushing a model city of New York for exactly, exactly no reason. Rest assured. And he's talking to a bunch of hoods and gangsters gathered together to talk about his domination over New York City's organized crime. He holds up a picture. Of, he holds up a paper, a copy of the Daily Beagle, and talking about J. Jonah Jameson writing editorials about rumors about an underworld takeover. So he gives the orders to silence Jameson if he doesn't clam up soon. Um, as some of uh, the gangsters are protesting, Kingpin retorts at the end of page two. Nobody cuts out until I say so, unless you plan to leave feet first. If it's action you want, I'll see that you get it. Big Turk, I got a list of service stations for you and your mop to put the squeeze on. Today is collection day at each one of them. Only we're the ones who will do the collecting. Ooh, that's menacing. So while that transitions, we see the amazing Spider-Man back in action, swinging above high over the city. And as he finds the crooks attacking the service station, he runs in and a fight scene ensues. At one point, a gangster holds his head, hand way back into our faces and is going to karate chop him, taking his sweet time to do it. He's, he takes so much time, he's actually talking in between it. Once I let this one solid karate chop, it'll all be over. 
Just so just hold that pose, mister. Here it comes. I'm really gonna do it. I'm gonna hit you. Stay still. I'm gonna hit you. And that happens, but he took so much time that Spider Man was ready for it and knocks him out. <laughs> so Spider Man beats the crap out of everybody, but Big Turk and his right hand man Shorty get away. Spider Man notices that they're all saying, Oh, the Kingpin's gonna be pissed off at this. So he says, Who or what is the Kingpin? The cops arrive and Spider Man flees the scene, but he also manages to take a lot of pictures. But then he realizes that, oh, wait, he quit the Daily Beagle, so he has to worry about that. Meanwhile, we go back to Kingpin and his right hand man, Flint, as they observe Frederick Foswell in the uh, two way mirror building, two way mirror room. Okay, can we recon that to being Smyther Landon? <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> Landon? Uh, two of Kingpin's. Uh, uh, Love life partner. <laughs> <laughs> well, life partner. He had two life partners in the animated series. For seasons one through um, three, it was Smythe, and then for like the second half of season three, up until the end of the series, it was Landon. But he and Smythe get back together in the last episode. For, some uh, for no reason. Well, it's, it's, it's an alternate reality, so they had to have the true lovers meet again. What I want to know is why he has this um, bedroom slash detention cell right next to his office. Like, he just pulls back the curtains and there he is. So, so he can see, because as we know in issue 52, when the Kingpin has a prisoner, he wants to keep track of everything that happens with the prisoner. Because if you if you can't see what the prisoner is doing, then the prisoner might be able to get away and escape an elaborate death trap. I mean, he knows this. <laughs> You know, you always have to keep your eye on these things. You can't just, like, close a door and assume that everything went to plan. I mean, that's what happens to James Bond villains and, like, you know, 1966 know. villains. It would never happen to a modern Marvel, you know, Silver Age comic. Did I say modern and Silver Age to describe the same thing? <laughs> yes, yes, you did. <laughs> modern for them, Silver Age for us, you know. The, sil- the Silver Modern Age. I love how Oswald is so pimp in there. He's like... I know, he's, he's like, I'm, I'm going to survive this, definitely. so frederick foswell thought i would let him take over our operation simply because he had once been the big man before he supposedly went straight why don't you just polish him off now kingpin he ain't doing anybody good any good in there no you gotta pierce my voice (laughs) i'm trying i'm trying to get in the mood okay why don't you polish him off now kingpin he's not doing anybody good in there no I have, I have other plans for Mr. Foswell, and a good general never lets any manpower go to waste. Bring in our guest here, Smythe. It's time we've had a little talk. So Foswell's brought in, and a scene ensues. Foswell realizes that Kingpin realizes that he's too good to kill, so Foswell starts acting like his big man self. Relax, mister. I'm no cheap hood, reaching for a gun as he puts his hand in his coat pocket. I do my fighting with my brains. <laughs> Smythe, give me a light. Who do you think you're talking to, little man? You heard the man, Smythe. Give him a light. Okay, here. We'll get along just fine, Foswell. I like your style. The fact that he just <laughs> orders the thug around is this is the thing that Kingpin likes. In fairness, I would have said the same thing. <laughs> light my cigarette for me. I'm too, <laughs> too, too much awesome. of a boss. <laughs> I, 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 I like, I like it. It's very, it's very 60s cool. But just at that moment, Big Turk bursts in, infuriated that Spider-Man is still around. And Foswell is shocked, too. So so Big Turk, like, loses his crap and says, you know, we've had it with you, fat boy. How dare you lie to us? So he's, he, first he knocks down Flint. Oh, no, and now he has to die. And Kingpin's had enough, so he takes off his, his coat and goes into the fray. 
Um, Big Turk throws a punch at him, but we see with Kingpin's big, meaty hands that he crushes it easily with the speed of a tiger. So he throws him instantly like he would in Ultimate Spider-Man. He says, get back to your rat holes, both of you. Never, as long as you live, forget that the Kingpin is your master. So he's been taking uh, lessons from Blackie Drago from the last couple of issues. So they, they go back like the worms that they are. As Nothing can stop a man with wings. I mean, um, a fat man. <laughs> a man with fat. So, Spider-Man is back in action, is he? Well, he shall live to regret it. But now, I must find a use for you, Farswell. I have it. You're the means by which I'll silence Jonah Jameson forever. What do you have in mind? As we cut to that, we see a scene where, where Jameson is throwing papers everywhere saying, Rumors! 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 But no blasted news! The city is in the grip of its biggest crime wave, and no one can find out who's behind it. And where in places is Foswell when I need him? As we see a black guy talking to him saying, suppose we replace it with Ned Leeds. So this guy will certainly be no one, possibly. What do we think? <laughs> possibly. <laughs> what does your uh, index say? Because they don't identify him this issue. The index. Oh, that's the Thor one. I'm not going to get very far with that. The index says that's the first appearance of you-know-who. Okay, so it's interesting but that we're getting he... the Beyonder this early. <laughs> um, <laughs> I totally, I mean, I hate to say it because, I mean, you know, he's the only black guy working at the Bugle, but he's the only black guy working at the Bugle, so I totally took it as a Robertson appearance. Joseph Robbie Robertson, first appearance, but chronologically last in Punisher, I'm going to guess that's why it was year one, number two, 1995. What? Chronologically, he had a Punisher year one appearance from 1995 that happens before this, but this is his first actual published appearance, although we don't get a name for him until next issue. If you give me a second, I can look uh, Uh, at Spider-Fan, which is always right and never wrong. You get Robertson the next issue, and you get his first name two issues later. I love these things. Because me and Josh, I was reading and, and like me and Josh were joking about his his 52 appearance because it's hilariously awesome. But then I saw, wait a minute, there's there's a guy who kind of looks like him in 51. Who doesn't do anything except say, but what about Ned Leeds? <laughs> Something must be done. Seconds later, Ned Leeds is in the office and Robbie's hiding. He's like, oh, let's make you the leave. Let's see. Because we know the rule. Nobody must lay eyes on me except for Jonah, because it's like Supergirl in the Silver Age, you know? Robbie's actually Jonah's secret weapon, and uh, he's got to <laughs> hide out at the Midville uh, orf- or- Orphanage until, like, see. Okay, so uh, Spider-Fan says he first appearance was in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 51. This, that's what we're on. Yeah. Spider-Fan. So, um, interestingly, though, he's just here. He's here like he's always been here. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is what I said that he wasn't new, but we can talk about that like in the next. Let's, like, let's, the next let's, let's save the Robbie discussion for next issue because he's only one panel here. Gotcha. And what a panel it is! I mean, you know, like you learn a lot about his character when he said, "Should we replace him with Ned Leeds?" Suppose we replace him with Ned Leeds, like uh, Leeds, you know, you Jonah's. Don't... Jonah's very, very, very angry, you know, and Robbie responds with the calm stuff, you know, immediately coming up with the solution. And we know that Robbie, you know, uh, knows all the members of the Daily Bugle because he immediately pulls Ned Leeds out of his butt because, of course, that's the only other male staff. (laughs) I think the very first thing the character does to show up in the book is change the status quo of the sporting cast. (laughs) (laughs) Now and forever. You can replace him with Donald Duck just so they get a story. Seconds later, because it's a crucial time jump. Second Stater and Robbie is no longer in the office when Peter 
he jumped out the window. Like, he's like, I, I can't be seen. They're not ready yet. <laughs> soon the world will know. It's like Mary Jane in uh, Untold Tales. You'll see me soon, but the time's not right yet. <laughs> so, um, so Ned Leeds ap- uh, appears as he's beckoned, and as, as he's getting his orders from Jameson, Peter Parker shows up. And Betty's, Jameson looking, Betty's looking really, really worried while, he sh- while he's getting his... Well, What's going on? It's later, and Betty's behind him. But then the next panel, he's at his window, and like Betty's not in the office. And then like, what's going on with like teleporting people? Is it Mystique? And then like when Ned comes in, she changes into Betty Brands. There was Mystique was a a Bugle uh, uh, employee at one point in the history. Oh yeah, she was. Yeah, I'm not not sure. Oh, where was that? I I wasn't aware of that one. Like, in the seconds that Ned Leeds goes to the office, Robbie disappears, Betty stands behind Jonah. Then when Peter comes in, Betty disappears. Like, oh, Peter's here in the same room with Ned and Jonah. This is going to get awkward. Well, this no is no reason the, all. Betty looks worried. I, yeah, the Betty look, that, that's the thing that I was saying. Betty looks worried out of nowhere. But, you know, Robbie left Jonah's office to go and tell Ned to go in. And then he went off to do his thing. Betty follows Ned into the office because she's his fiancé. Therefore, she must follow him everywhere he goes throughout, the, uh, throughout his life. She's actually behind jameson still in that last panel but you can't see her because uh the door that peter has opened is blocking our view of her no i, I like the idea of this mystique better it sounds far more plausible <laughs> she's worried because she's she's wondering where robertson went like or she's worried because she's betty brandt and it doesn't take a lot to worry betty brandt we've it really doesn't yeah betty like she looks like she's gonna like almost start crying again but like are they saying anything dangerous it's like, hi, Ned. Hi, Jameson. And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I want you to get the facts behind the crime wave. So he's sending her off, He's sending uh, Ned off to work on crime stuff. Of course, the fact that he's already right. been working on crime stuff doesn't bother Betty at all, you know. But she's sad. This totally isn't relevant to the issue that we're discussing, but, like, I'm flashback into, like, issue 30, where, like, she's talking about she wants, like, a man to come home to, like, her pipe, like Ned, you know, not, not, not you know, not, not a man who seeks out danger. But then I'm remembering that, like, wasn't Ned sent to cover, like, war zones back in the Dicko run? <laughs> yeah, well, but... Uh, I want to call studious man that's, that, that, that's sent into war zones, but okay, we'll carry on. Ned's where the action is. He's either, I mean, he's in the, he's covering the war, he's covering the crime wave, he's covering like the robbery of the the great paper factory, and and all the while Betty's like, she's like Roll from the Mega Man cartoon. She just cries in the background. <laughs> um, let's see, let's see, let's see. So Peter says, so so Jameson tells Ned Leeds, um, you know, don't sleep ever. Find I want results, not excuses. And find me a photographer to replace that punk kid Parker. You don't have to replace me, Mister Jameson. I'm back. You! The teenage traitor who walked out on me when I needed you the most. What do you mean you're back? Who wants you? Who missed you? Who needs you? We do, Mr. J. You just said so, remember? Shut up, Lee's. Never mind what I said. So that, that bit of hijinks ensues, and Peter brings him photos of the action scene from earlier. So he's hired back without much of a fuss. And I really love the, the devious grin on Jonah's face whenever he's looking at the photos in the third panel on page 10. Jonah looks, like, looks kind of like menacing in these in this three parter. He looks really like his his wide eyed expressions. So Peter learns that Froswell is missing, and as he's driving away, he passes by the is it the silver spoon or the coffee bean? They don't even say what it is. It's just a random place. I say letters out there, but I I, I can't. Yeah, G R I. Right. <laughs> the Grifter Club. It's the coffee okay. gr- coffee grinder. 
Sure, yeah, yeah. It, it's what John says it is. So <laughs> we, we, we get into an interesting scene with uh, the supporting cast from ESU with Mary Jane in a uh, murdered tiger coat. Ah, oh, save the animals. Where <laughs> she says, oh, look, there's Peter Parker. He's passing right by without even looking in. And just where, just where I could have to use those way out wheels of his for a luscious lift home. That's the brakes, MJ. But don't despair. Harry and I can drop you off when we leave. I know why you're smiling, Gwen. It bugs you when I'm alone with Petey, doesn't it? And Harry In case says, you haven't noticed, Gwen is mine, late. <laughs> it never stops. Sure, because Mr. P didn't ask her first. Good old Mary Jane. Anything for a while, Do you think I'm being funny, Gwendolyn? I think... Perhaps it's time we were getting home. So, interesting. Then notice that when Harry says that Gwen's his date, he and Gwen are both, like, you know, smiling as if, you know, it's it's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like Mary Jane teasing Gwen in this scene. I mean, and I can just imagine Harry getting all sad on the inside after that because, like, Gwen didn't deny it, you know, and whatever. So... We cut from that uh, fight, of, fight of fancy to Peter uh, driving by on his motorcycle and have his, his spider sense go off. His spider sense goes off because, let's see, what is that building? The, sw- the, the Swanky Private Club, which is by title, is currently being robbed by the Kingpin's men. He changes it to Spider-Man, busts through the window, Batman style, and beats the crap out of everybody before someone throws a gas grenade. The gas grenade blows up a large section of the club, and parts of the, the raptors at, at the top of the ceiling are falling down. Spider-Man holds him up so people can get out in time and swings. But before all that happened, he did manage to throw a spider tracer on one of the thug's coats. We cut into the Daily Beagle throughout the night as the men are grabbing and kidnapping J. Jonah Jameson to be brought to the Kingpin. And we go to the Kingpin saying now, I know what a busy man you are, so I'll come right to the point. I want you to stop steaming up the public about the so-called crime wave here in the city. In a pig's eye, nobody tells you what to write in my paper. Uh, Jameson's also blindfolded by this point, so he doesn't see he doesn't see the kingpin right now, but he might later. Excellent. Spoken like the true crusader that you are. I applaud your obvious courage, but alas, you will live to regret it. But then more men come in saying that Spider-Man is, is back in action. Unbeknownst to them, um, the Spider-Tracer is leading Spider-Man to their location. So, uh, kingpin makes a decision. Foswell, would you be good enough to inform our guests that the kingpin does not play games? Well... What did you mention my name for? To be sure that you do not betray to betray me. Once it is known that you've returned to crime, you can never turn back. And then falls Um, If they kill Jonah, though, it makes no difference. He's far cleverer, far more deadly than I thought. If Jameson doesn't play along, it'll mean his life. Foswell thinks, because I know my voices aren't very distinct. Foswell, are you really there? Is it true that you've joined forces with the Kingpin? Never mind about me, Jameson. I'm advising you, do what the kingpin tells you to. So, I was wrong to ever trust you. You're no better than that skunk Spider-Man. Because everything is connected to Spider-Man, obviously. Obviously, Um, in Jameson's mind, the entire world revolves around (laughs) Spider-Man. It's an arachnocentric view of the universe. Poor Marla. Like, Jameson probably, like, bursts into his bedroom every night. You've been sleeping with Spider-Man, haven't you? Haven't you? He was in this bedroom. No, no, what he does, he says, Marla... Would you um would you put on the costume again tonight, please? And she goes and pulls out the Spider-Man costume because Jonah's secret. No, it's, it's, issues. isn't it um what's her name Joan at this point? 
Or she already Jones, dead. Joe Jones dead. Because Marla isn't appearing forever. Joan Jett? No, Joan's dead. Joan Jameson. Okay. Joan Jett's dead. I don't know if she's or not. <laughs> no, Jonah, I swear I haven't been cheating on you with Spider-Man. I am fucking Robbie, though. Oh, mm, how's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> so Spider-Man uh, is peering out outside the window and casts his spider signal through the skylight. The goons bust into the roof, and Spider-Man makes short work of them, and then the kingpin realizes he's more dangerous than I thought. Stay back, Flint. I'll hide to him myself. So it's Spider-Man versus the kingpin as the kingpin starts shooting from his his secret cane, a ray blaster that looks like a gas gun for some reason. Spider-Man gets a couple of licks in it, and it looks like the kingpin's finished at one point after Spider-Man destroys his cane, but the kingpin uh, cold costs him right, right in the solar plexus. Spider-Man's dizzy, not realizing how fast the Kingpin is or how strong, but just as Spider-Man thinks he's got him by the coat, the Kingpin has a surprise Blofeld-esque gas pellet into his uh, tie pin. So as Spider-Man is falling unconscious, Foswell says, You did it! In just a couple of minutes! You actually defeated Spider-Man! Kingpin <laughs> actually says, Naturally, I never fail. That is why I am the Kingpin. Dun, 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 dun. That, that, that was one of his, uh, like, most iconic lines of the 90s animated series. Which we Crisis to Crisis, 90s animated Spider-Man podcast. <laughs> you should just fire us now, John, because we're not going to stop. <laughs> it's from, from Smythe to Landon, the 90s animated <laughs> I would totally be on this. Spider-Man beaten? This is what I've always wanted, but not now, not like this, Jameson says. And then Foswell says it's the last line of dialogue, which Spider-Man finished. What happens now? Next, to die a hero. Which, with him, you know, down for the count and being gassed, it, and you have to die a hero being the tagline for the next issue, to me it really feels like Spider-Man's going to die a next I mean, obviously it's not going to be that way, but it seems like that's what they're trying to say. So it's kind of a cool cliffhanger. Actually, like, in the next, well, or, I'll, I'll get to it when we talk about the next issue box, because I don't want to get it. It is ambiguous to which character. They actually set up, like, they, they do tell you pretty much in the next issue, Borb, that someone's going to die. And when you read the next issue, which I'll get to in the recap, at different points they set it up as if, like, certain characters are going to be the one that might die. Including, like, Ned Leeds, like, don't worry, Betty, because we're totally going to get married after I finish doing this. And I was telling Don last night that whenever someone tells their fiancé, as soon as I finish this dangerous task, we're going to get married, that usually means that they're dead. It's a horror movie equivalent of, I'll be right back. <laughs> Or okay. even in the 50s and 60s, oh, we're getting married and have a happily ending, and then the guy dies at war. Right, right. Thank you for that recap, Don. Um, Thank you for letting me. In the clutches of the kingpin. And just looking back at that splash page, does anybody else get the uh, sort of Spaceballs dark <laughs> helmet vibe whenever he's playing with his toys on his desk with kingpin and all the little towers? I mean, why does he have a, why does he have toy towers of New York City on his desk? They were Richard's. <laughs> hey dad have you seen my model what the hell Poor uh, sacrifices must be made son <laughs> dad I'm totally going to become a crime boss and I'm going to be better than you and everything okay son <laughs> don't make me laugh yes but to see to be the kingpin you would have to shave your head whereas I am bald naturally Oh, he's right. I would have to shave my head. Curses. Which he will do in Web of Spider-Man. That was Retcon. That was not Richard Fist that shaved his head in Web of Spider-Man. Really? Yeah. 
I haven't read the retcon. Who is it really? It's uh, this other guy. It wasn't Alfredo because Alfredo was like, or it might have <laughs> oh, no. been Al. It might have been Alfredo, but like. Basically, like when Richard Fisk is fat and bald and looks like his father, it's not really him. And Richard Fisk was like the Blood Rose or something. And there, the, there was a whole case of mistaken identity. So yeah, Richard Fisk never shaved his head. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, that's just weird. It's an early '90s web of Spider-Man story called. Was it the name of the Rose? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you'll get to it, but first you have to watch, like, Jurassic Park and, like, every single other movie. Because, God, God forbid, you read a 1994 comic before you've watched every single movie that was released in 1993. <laughs> okay. The construction of John Wilson on the Mason. It, 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 it'll, it'll kill the illusion for you, and then, like, Lily will know that you're not really in the 90s or something. Right. Okay, so fucking you in the ass with two hammers. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, not go there. No, I have read it recently because it was 1991. I've already gotten past it. So A, you're fucking right. And B, you're you're you got your order wrong cuz I've already done that. <laughs> and, like, and C, you're just proving my point. You're like, "Well, I got past it cuz it's 1991." I know, right? <laughs> so it's like <laughs> you're making fun of me and hell? making me mad, but at the same time you're totally right. So what can I do but laugh? <laughs> um so anyways, you know, making fun the, of me aside. <laughs> on the splash page, it, I know it's just a little lighting effect, but the jewel around Kingsman's neck that's glowing away just makes me think of, uh, is it John Jameson has the jewel that turns him into man-wolf or a werewolf? Oh, yeah. He has that stuck in his neck, doesn't he? Yeah, he What's does. That his mother gave him. Maybe so that's how he got to be so large. He has a moonstone. It comes back in the plot because his mother gave it to him. Hmm. There, there, there's, a, there's a story to be told here. <laughs> Some win somewhere. Did any of you guys ever watch Rescue Rangers? Chip and Dale. Did we not sing Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers thing the last time I was on this podcast? I think we did have that theme song. That's right. It's one of my favorite bloopers ever. Like, Google image Fat Cat, and he's totally like a knockoff of the Keeman right down to, like, okay, he's not wearing it this episode, but in, like, the old episodes of the show, he had that same jewel that the Kingpin had around his neck. And it was, like, a plot point that, like, Chip and Dale had to, like, get it off his neck, so, of course, there was a musical number where, like, Chip is, like, pretends to be, like, a hula dancer to, like, try and cut it off of his neck in the middle of the song. Right. Because that's what hula dancers do. Is Fat Cat totally not Wilson Fisk as a cat? I yeah, think this general it idea it starts like because uh, Kingpin's a ripoff of like the dude from the Maltese Falcon, so I think this general idea of like a fat crime lord who has a cigarette cane and everything is sort of like it becomes I don't want to say a trope, but it becomes a recurring theme with uh, ideas of crime bosses. So on page two at the top, um, the the mom's like, "Okay, Kingpin, we voted to let you take over. Now what? Yeah, now you're talking. To what's happening next? I, I'm guessing that like." Before this issue started, like Kingpin was playing with his models for a while, like building up the buildings and putting them all together, and then he smashes them. And 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 the mobsters are just getting tired of it at this point. <laughs> We've been here for four hours. <laughs> Looking at this picture of Spider-Man. <laughs> We've stared at this model building long enough. Now we have to do it to the real city. Of course, we must destroy it. Leave no evidence. And because I'm never one to uh, give up the opportunity for a really cheap joke. At the top of page three, the first panel, Big Turk says, Service stations? I thought we were in the big time. 
and, and Big Turk is 600 to, issues too early. Oh, yeah. Well, well uh, I thought yeah, of, like, like uh, uh, the, the Daredevil character whenever they said Turk. Hey, Turk, it's Big Turk. Look at Turk. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think of. Just because you can't have Kingpin without Turk somewhere along the line. Different Turk because that Turk's black unless he went to that Lois Lane machine. And, he, and, he's, and he's not like Big Turk. He's, he's kind of skinny and has a mustache and everything. Or the, the reverse Michael Jackson machine. Can I, can I ask, what is a service station? A gas station. Oh, really? Yeah, they have um, they have generally you know lots of cash in their re- uh, registers and everything. So there could have yeah. been an opportunity for a big explosion in that fight sequence. Could have been. This was well, too horrifying. That what they were going to punch the petrol until it explodes. <laughs> well, yeah, no one's, guns, no one's like, got fuck. guns. They have guns. Where? Page three, panel three. There's Spider-Man, a guy with a gun. Like, like, and then there's another guy with a gun, and Spider-Man th- takes their guns away with their webs and says, can I borrow those guns, fellas? Thanks, Ahit. Oh, uh, right. Uh, well, that, sorry, they, he removes the guns from the fight straight away. It's not like they were just going to, we've got your money. No. Just excuse me to take this close-range shot at the... Well, that's why he took the guns away, because they yeah. were right beside the petrol. This Which I say for you, because, a... I mean, gas for us. Yes. Well, it's not gas, because it's a liquid. Gasoline. Ooh, Which is just weekend, bullshit. No, no education tonight. Or today. Um, no, just all this stuff around petrol is just making me think of uh, that wonderful bit towards the start of Zoolander. I have not seen Zoolander. I have not seen Zoolander. Oh I come have. on, the petrol fight oh. where all the models fill up and they're just like petrol fight, and then they're just hurling petrol at each other and squirting it out the thing at each other, and they have a smoke. <laughs> After which is the most logical thing to do. Yeah, uh, they obviously blow themselves up. It's, but it's um, yeah, just to highlight how fucking. Stupid oh, good. I'm glad that there was some realism in, in, in the yeah. Ben Still in the Ben Still in the Ben Stiller movie where he's like an androgynous model. Oh, sure, as I forgot to mention on page two, especially the last panel on that, the inking seems really, really heavy on Kingpin. I was thinking the same thing. I wasn't sure if it was just the way the scan was done or what, but yeah, really heavy inks on the Kingpin, more so than the last one. Probably. I mean, it's black and white. I, don't, I, don't, I can't tell. Um, I got a note for page four, which was... You kind of covered most of it, which was the just hold it whilst I hit you. Going to hit you anytime soon bit. But there's a, the perspective on that, where he's stretching his arm out. It's just really nice and interesting. It is. It's, 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 it's good It's good. It's good. Uh, perspective. Like, you know, you, you get that sense that the guy is really rushing up to give him a big sock on the back. Yeah, unless you read any of the words, obviously. <laughs> True. And then, the, and then the freaking exposition. It's like, you know, Spider-Man is hit, and then they automatically assume he's down. I, he's like, oh, there you hit. I don't get it. I thought he was a dozen times stronger than any ordinary Joe. How come you knocked him out with one blow? And, like, Spider-Man's not on the ground. He just, like, got hit. That's like me pushing him, pushing somebody, and before anything else can happen, I'm like, I don't understand. You're, like... 200 pounds why aren't you why are you being pushed the, the, the logic is really weird in that that's that panel on page five we have spider-man saying say i just thought of something as he's punching everybody in the stomach i sure hope you chaps didn't eat heavy meals lately which you know because the last thing we would ever want in a spider-man comic is for bad guys to vomit on spider-man while they're fighting right 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 uh, that, that would suck that, that would never happen it was a brand new day villain that was recently also, killed off in Punisher. There's also oh. a very, spe- speaking of Punisher, there is a very recent issue where like Punisher's fighting Bullseye and Bullseye throws up in, in Frank Castle's face. Did, really? As a, as, a, as a means for distraction, yeah. Like the last couple months. Bullseye. That's, yep. Isn't he dead? No. Uh, 
It's Punisher Max. So I don't know. They killed him in Shadowland. Oh, they killed him forever, never to return. Well, but. they start to they start to resurrect him. Like they dug up his corpse, and he's like, "And now I will resurrect him." And then Shadowland, and he's like, "Nah, we'll leave him dead." Yeah. But yeah, both are things he can turn anything into his weapons, and so yeah, if he's got a bit of it rising around inside him, why not use it? I don't know. I just feel like there's so many other things that he could have done for a weapon besides vomit. I mean, shoot his fingernails at the guy or something. <laughs> Fingernail power. Our powers combined in the form of fingernails. Okay. Egg from Family Guy. Another cheap joke, just because that's the mood I'm in today. Page six, panel two. When I thought I was finished with the Spider-Man bit, I told Jameson where to get off. (laughs) (laughs) I love 60s lingo. It's always so perverted. Was that before (laughs) or after he came too close to him from behind? Dun dun. dun. I like the fact that on page six, panel three, that Kingpin was nice enough to like give his prisoners a bed to sleep in while they're being awaiting their death. There's even a pillow and sheets on it. <laughs> he wants to have them. He, he's a man of you know a man of. Well, pain. I mean, he's he, 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 he civilized, you know. Yeah. What exactly is the Kingpin doing with his row of buttons? He clicks one of them, and nothing happens. The curtains move. He reveals right. Sam Foswell there. What if, what if, what if he's, he, not, he's not even looking? What if you press surely, the wrong button? And like surely, acid? if he was clicking to open the curtains, the curtains would open on the next panel. Okay, just open already open curtains. But according to the script and the art, he says, "I will slide the drapes back and observe our captive through the hidden one-way mirror." So that's definitely you know ex- expositing what he's doing in the art there. I just love like, if, if he pressed the wrong. Like he's not looking at the button, so if he pressed the wrong button and like. The room blows up or something. <laughs> Whoops. Or, or, or like... Into the piranha pit. Or like it's the Austin Powers button where... Like, like you know, that button Austin Powers has on his house where like it turns his like room into a nightclub and like there's... <laughs> <laughs> like there's dancing the girls. <laughs> when I saw you. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be quite awesome. Or or like like like... I don't know. Like he he buzzed the wrong. He's pressing the wrong button, and Vanessa walks in. You want me to fix it here? Wait, what, what? This crime crap again? I thought. I thought <laughs> Vanessa, this is just a gentleman's meeting. Who's that guy in, in the one way mirror? This, <laughs> this 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 is a flat screen TV show. We're watching a new reality series. Wilson Fisk. First of all, flat screen TVs won't be invented for another few decades. Now, good day. The we have, um, we have here for you, sir. Excellent. Now get rid of it. Or get rid of him. Uh, going to page eight, when I first read this comic, this scene rather surprised me because I had never seen the Kingpin brawl before. You know, it's just like... The, in the 60s and 70s, this is what Kingpin does. He's sure he's a crime boss, but he will also bust your shit up. And here... Um, is the first example of that, of course, because this is a uh, second appearance. But in the uh, 90s comics that I had read as a kid, that's not what the Kingpin's like at all. So whenever I first read this story, I was rather surprised that that's what the Kingpin was going to do. Well, this is a thing that I think it's very inconsistent in general media that, like, Kingpin's a part of this because there are times a lot in these early appearances that we'll see where he just ex- he exhibits superhuman strength, and it's just not possible. In any form or fashion, he's not a superhuman. He's just a, a big, big strong guy, and, li- yeah. and I like the idea that he's stronger than he lets on. But whenever he like goes toe to toe with Spider-Man, 
unless he's just crushing with, with his with his grip, it is a little hard to buy. Didn't I, isn't there a suggestion at some point uh, someone tried to retcon it that he was a mutant, a very low level mutant, but I, his I, sort I, of his prowess was a mutant ability. Uh, I haven't heard that, but it's it's possible. I have. I I I I know what you're talking about. I don't know where the reference is, but I have heard that that stupid idea. <laughs> I mean, let's but, see what Wikipedia has. Wikipedia confirmed that uh, Mystique worked at the Bugle, so yeah, I have it up right now. It says he has no superhuman powers, but he does have a great deal of strength, uh, including enough to hurl people across the room, rip limbs off of people's bodies. Uh, crush a man's skull with his bare hands, leave imprints in concrete. Um, I would say that he does have beyond human abil- uh, strength, if not necessarily, oh my god, you're so cool, Superman kind of strength. Mm. I'll, I'll give him like, cool. like no no bigger than like maybe enhanced strength, but it has to be naturally achieved. Naturally achieved. Otherwise, like like for instance, like he says, so much of the time he says, you know, oh, only so percent of my body or so is, is made of fat. Like he has more than. He has a, a, a serious layer of fat. He can have muscle with it because if, when you gain muscle, your muscle grows even though it may not show because of the amount of body fat percentage is just that. It is, it is, it's not a, a show of how strong you are because he can be as strong as he is while looking the way he does. But I think, I think the only reason he has that line is just to say that, look, I'm not fat. I'm muscular. I actually have very little fat. Everything you see right here is muscle. I don't well, think he's saying I mean, like any abnormally small amount of body fat. I think it's just – to belie the visual impression. It's also well. It's also the fact that, like he has a double chin. Like that is that that is a fat index. But he he's not he's more muscle than fat. But it, it's 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 a fail on the writer's part because the, the amount of fat percentage he has obviously o- obviously goes over the muscle. Like you're not going to see a six pack under him because of the fat index. But right he, there, there he does have a strong abdomen because of the muscle. No sense? no actual normal musculature would ever make a person look like this. Yeah, yeah, like I, I, I remember. Um, there's like like uh, I, I'm a fan of the Street Fighter games, and like there was a mo- there was an animated movie where like they had the character E Honda, which is basically the Japanese kingpin, like a big fat guy, and they he, as fat as he was, they drew a six pack on him, and I was like, that's impossible because a layer of fat will cover. You everyone has a six pack, but the layer of fat covers that up, so you can't see it, even though you you do have a strong stomach. So whenever the kingpin like has all these strong muscles, it makes sense. But for him to say, "Oh, I have one percent body fat," it's like, well, you still have a double chin, so no. Yeah, like, he's not really drawn like he doesn't have any body fat. He definitely does have body fat. It's, I, I, I do kind of find it funny though. I mean, like I love the idea that he brags about it every time. But I, whenever like he, he if he can get out arm muscle Spider Man, it's that's not impossible. That's not. Possible. And of course, because he's so big, he's going to move faster than we expect him to. He's faster than I expected. He's so big. I don't know how possible that is. I mean, Spider-Man has <laughs> human speed, so like him being – he can be faster than Spider-Man can expect, but to be faster than Spider-Man's bull stuff. I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you think, Lacey? The way they portray the Kingpin's uh, abilities. It gets a lot more um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fantastic. Certainly not this. Uh, well, once once Miller takes over him, because that's the, the, my biggest area of experience is from the Daredevil 160 whatever onwards – it's more like his martial arts. Here he's just brawling, isn't he? Oh, you're right. He does have. I I saw that in the uh, name of the rose stuff when he's working out with his son, or his not really his son, Richard. That that's um, they do some martial arts training. But yeah, here it's just here it's just brawling. Yeah, this is this is brawling. I mean, the one of the first 
Actually, I don't want to make this point next. I want to go and grab my trade so I can talk about it in a bit more detail. But there's a, one of the first times, he, or the first time Frank Miller ever hands him is he's doing a martial arts workout. Um, but here he's just fighting. He's rather strong. And there it's, it's made a little bit more realistic in that he's trained. He's following specific uh, disciplines and patterns in what he does. It was yes. a big gag in the 80s that, uh, like, and I, I think it was Don that said this, or it might have been somebody else, but I remember one comic fan who I spoke to said that, like, it annoyed the piss out of them that every single time you saw Kingpin in the 80s, he'd always, like, take his clothes off at a moment's notice to, like, do martial arts training. Like, <laughs> like he, yeah. he, he'd be, like, sending some men so that I could, like, like, craving with his animals, he'd be, like, sending some men that I could beat up. The, 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 like, I think in the next appearance, isn't, is this the next appearance that, like, the... Like the Randy Robertson appearance? No, his next appearance it, is the brainwasher story. Okay, well, well, in in, in one of his earlier, one of his uh, soon coming appearances, he like says, "Come on, you bums, let's see how strong you are." He like you know strips down to his his uh, skitties and um, skivvies and like like just fights people at a moment's notice. I think he does it all the time. Uh, every other appearance he has, like he does, I've seen it in the Stern run. I've seen it in the Miller's run of Daredevil. I've seen it. I've seen it, and I think. Uh, I, I I see it like every now and then. It's it recur- it's like Spider Man swinging on swinging on on throughout the city. Josh, you've been quiet for a while. I really wish I could pull up my Gwen article to talk about what I thought about that scene at the time, but so I could like sound deeper because I I I, re- I read a lot into those scenes back then. It's. I mean, there's really not a lot to draw from there, like, except for what's on the page. I mean, it's obvious, you know, Gwen is dating Harry, you know, all jokes aside, like, oh, they're all smiley. But Mary Jane's like, well, you really want to date Peter? And it's it's kind of like Harry doesn't even figure into the scene. Like, it's this conversation between the two girls, like this understanding between them. He sucked himself again. <laughs> and, 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 and Harry just, like, happens to be there. Like, well, I know that you want to date Peter. She's like, well, I know that you know that I want to date Peter. And Harry's do you think Mary, so Mary Jane's little more... I'm on a date with Gwen Stacy. <laughs> Mary Jane, you can take a ride with us too. And then, like, he's like thinking in his head when he's like giving Mary Jane the ride home. Yeah, Harry Osborne used to spend every night alone in high school, and now look at me, Gwen in the front seat, Mary Jane in the back seat, and they're both like thinking about Peter. <laughs> Sucker. Well, it's also like it kind of it's, it goes back to the last issue where. It does make Gwen less stupid than you would think, you know, like, oh, hey, Tiger, look at that cloud in the sky. Doesn't it remind you of weed? Or like, like, she is, like, thinking Gwen's not saying anything, but it's obvious that she has feelings for Peter. And, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that Mary Jane's making the one pointing this out rather than anybody else. I, don't know, I find that kind of cool. Yeah, I do, too. I, I like how uh, Ramita differentiates their faces. Like, the face that he draws there for Mary Jane in, in uh, the final panel, that could be Gwen's face with white hair somewhere else. But here, for the sake of the two girls, he's differentiated the two faces. I know, I think... Yeah, there's nothing worse than an artist. And you see it fairly regularly nowadays, where each male hero will have a completely different face. But you put two or three women in the same one, you realize, yeah, you're just drawing the same face with different hair. Well, this is, this is something that, that Ramita does. Because if you took off the hair from Gwen and Mary Jane, they do look different. Mary Jane has the has the has the, she has like the the uh, the divot on her chin, and like the dimples, and then Mary and Gwen has the cheekbones and like different like eyelashes eye, or eyebrows. Yeah, their eye shapes are slightly different. Their mouth shapes. Uh, Gwen's mouth is sort of uh, wider and thinner, whereas uh, Mary Jane's is sort of fat. 
That's not the word I'm looking she's, for. I, I, I know what you mean. She, she looks like she does have yeah. a head on her, but she's, I think she's just more like, more like, I don't know. She just has a dimple in her chin, in her cheeks. Yeah. I wonder if Gwen was embarrassed by this because, like, she didn't really have a, like, catty retort or anything. So maybe she's surprised that Mary Jane pretty much called her on it. And, like, she just doesn't know what to say. Do you think Harry was clueless the whole time? Yes. Like, he has no okay. idea what the girls are saying to each other? Yes. I think, honestly, I think that Harry understands some of it, but he's kind of in deep denial. Like, he. He, he calls Gwen his date. It's you know it's a it's a possessive thing that like his relationship with Gwen is like getting a little like more serious in his mind, but in his mind only. And if he says like that Gwen's his date out loud, it makes it more real. I think it's interesting that it's just that like Mary Jane almost like sees the future where where it's like you know I might I might even she doesn't hint that she's going to end up with Harry for a little bit, but. I just, it's, it's again. It's like it's like why why in the narrative of the story is Mary Jane all of a sudden the sage? <laughs> well, it's because Stan needs someone to like do exposition. It's just like Betty Brand saying, "I wonder who Peter likes more, you know, his date or his friend's date." Which Betty Brand has no logical reason for thinking in issue forty-seven, but it's to remind the readers of this love triangle. And I think in this case, Mary Jane's the best person to exposit the situation as opposed to harry being like boy you know in a thought bloom boy what a laugh you know i finally get gwen all to myself but all she can think about is peter who happens to be dating mary jane well that pretty much sums up our love triangle all nice and neatly (laughs) (laughs) no back to the action which would be something that Stan would write, but yeah, hmm. Because I'm looking at these panels again, and Harry is very quick to say anything for a laugh. So he he he's in denial about this. Like he 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 does not want it to be true that Gwen wants right. to be with Peter. Like, so he's like making up. Oh yeah, huh, isn't Mary Jane joking? You know, and he's, like a lot of times Harry's very very like. You know, uh, between your Mary Jane and my Gwen, and like you know, he says, "In case you haven't noticed, lady, Gwen is my date." Like he, it's it's mm, he really wants Gwen, <laughs> which kind of makes his comment a couple issues back. Whenever um, Gwen has a new hairstyle and Pete, uh, she's asking if Pete likes it, and Harry says he just likes it because you look like Mary Jane. Like it makes it more malicious, like backstabbing the idea of them getting together so that he can stay with Gwen. And now that Flash is in Vietnam, or just know, down he- the street hiding. Or down the street hiding, you know, he thinks, like, at last, you know, my shot, like, you know, I have no competition. So Peter, you know, complicates things. In fact, you know, depending on how influential Norman Osborn is, he's like, Dad, I like a girl, but, you know, Flash. And he's like, say no more, son. (laughs) He'll be in Vietnam by the end of the week. (laughs) A day later. (laughs) (laughs) A day later, Flash gets his draft notice. And it has oh an Oscorp letterhead on it. No, that, that's like literally, like literally, like that's the equivalent of like, oh, I like this guy. Let me tell my dad so we can send him to Iraq. <laughs> that's awful. like Bible stuff going on there. That's what King David did. I want you know, Bathsheba. Also, I will send her husband into the army. It will. Well, you you joke about that, Josh, and boy, do you joke about it. But like that's what happened in that '96 annual. Like Harry went to Nor- Norman for advice on how to take how Mary Jane takes him more seriously. He's craving to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Norma's like, you like a girl? I can't, we can't be having that. Hey, what are you, son? Gay? It's really odd. Um, so whenever Spider-Man is finally going after uh, the thug that he pinned with the spider tracer, he's not using his spider tracer tracker, 
Ooh. Is, well, he doesn't say sparse sense, but like, you, you infer that's what, he, that's what he means. But um, did, haven't we established that he's not using the tracer anymore previously? No, no we, we, we marked the last time that he used it. But we uh, we haven't seen him actually go on. I mean, this is the first time that the the art, the creative team have shown him without the spider tracker. I can't speak. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I got what you're saying. Um, but it, on the bottom of page 15, even though he doesn't say spider sense, you do have the spider sense lines. Mm-hmm. According to my little tracer, the trail ends in the penthouse just ahead. Dee, 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 dee. With a spider tra- sense. Well, he says my little buzzer has never steered me wrong, or something like that. At one point. I forgot where we come down on it, whether we would prefer the device or the spider sense. Uh, I think some of us said that uh, the idea of the spider sense being a radio frequency thing is a little bit off. What do you think, uh, Steven? You weren't here for that discussion. Spider tracker or no spider tracker? As in, should there be one or shouldn't there be one? Uh, what, do you, what is your uh, preference? Uh, oh, sorry, I came the tracker confused with the tracer because I'm mentally putting K's into everything. Uh Technically, he should have something handheld to pick up on it, but for the purposes of the story, it's just easier to go, oh yeah, my spidey sense is picking up. Otherwise, he's got to carry it around with him all the time. He's got to put it somewhere when he goes to attack. Otherwise, it's just a magically appearing thing that comes in his hand whenever the story needs it. So it's just easier to not have it, and I'm okay with that kind of shortcut. Uh, No spider tracer, no hover chair. (laughs) Otherwise, he's going to have a utility belt or a backpack or or I believe you call them fanny packs. (laughs) <laughs> don't, don't look at me we called them belt bags when I was a kid <laughs> right but if I said bum bag you'd probably get the wrong idea yeah he should really have pockets nobody picks a spider costume because of the pockets you don't go to a spider costume shop and say oh look it's a spider costume it has such nice pockets sorry that was a um, bad British accent Catherine Tate Doctor Who reference so back to the show oh, um, what was that in Doctor Who the wedding dress Runaway Bride. Oh, right. Sorry. Ugh. David Tennant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Don't even, don't, even, don't even go there. I was fine until he grew into a petulant little whining shit of a child. Uh, I don't want to go. Oh, fuck off. Kick him off, John. Kick him off now. <laughs> you, you know what? In an hour and a half's time, I can watch Doctor Who. Even after watch it whilst I'm podcasting, I'll spoil the shit out of you lot. So nice to <laughs> so um, um but yeah screw david Tennant. i'm actually kind of out of things to say about this issue i mean there's there's some cool action with the thugs and there's the the fight with kingpin's kind of neat um but i don't really have a whole lot to say about the rest of the book got the impossibly stupid spider flashlight thing <laughs> which i think i picked i mentioned last time i was on here but there's no way that if spider-man's just outside the window He's making a spider signal on the floor that big with his flashlight at that angle. Well, wasn't he upside down? He's, he's, he's still outside the window. Kingpin doesn't have a skylight. Yeah, I, I have to wonder what kind of lens he has that thing on that thing because if it's a if it's maybe twice the size of a quarter, unless he has some really big refractive lens going on the front of it, it's not going to make that big of a beam ever. And to get that perfect circle, he's pre-warped the image on the lens. So that when it's done at an angle, it'll then show up at that size. It looks like an oval to me. It looks like a pretty, uh, pretty flat oval to me. Yeah, I think it's from the angle of the, of the floor. Looks circular to me. Uh, hey. Yeah, it looks like an oval. But I mean, yeah, it's it's meant to look like a circle. I'm sure. I was just being yeah. silly. 
Because we have our own perspective on it, and we're over here at the side looking down on it. Good point. Um, another uh, art reference, or another art note, is that like the the panels during the the issue are pretty pretty close together, but once the Kingpin fights Spider-Man, the panels are a lot bigger and, and uh, fewer. I'm just really happy with the way Romita does have like a really good grasp of panel layout. Yeah. When when he is doing conversations, when people are just talking, he does a lot of headshots and there are a lot of panels. Whenever the action opens up, the panels open up. And he just really takes the time to you know, make large displays of action. Um page 17 last panel on that that's not a post spider-man ever 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 wants to assume <laughs> no, all, all the kingpin has to do is like just turn around with his other fist well to be honest <laughs> he's, he's asking to be trussed up have a lemon shoved up his backside and then put in the oven for three hours <laughs> he's about to kick the kingpin in the face he wasn't he was only in that pose for like half a second yeah with his spider speed no one even saw it <laughs> but it's really interesting that that's the way they draw him right there because it is a rather awkward um awkward yeah, position for the body the gas coming out of the uh what out of his pose <laughs> out of the gem that's not on spider-man's bum uh the gem that's on his ne- uh, kingpin's neck yes uh that comes out that knocks spider-man down and we have to die a hero I forget. Naturally, I never fail. That is why I am the kingpin. Do, do, do. He, this, this should happen for no reason. Like, he comes out of the shadows, even though there were no shadows then. Just to say that line. <laughs> <laughs> the room was perfectly lit. How did that happen? How did you do it? I'm the kingpin. I can do anything. He buys his clothes at the same place where Norman Osborn buys his hats. Speaking of, speaking of clothes, my last note is that, that uh, Frederick Foswell and Harry Osborn go to the same thrift store. And the same hairdresser. Oh my god! <laughs> Looks like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Poor Jameson. He ends the note with a big old mask blindfold on. Spider-Man, beaten. It's what I always wanted, but not right now. Not like this. I can't even see what's happening. Well, I, I love how he's like, not like this. As if, like, how did he want Spider-Man beaten? This is exactly how he wanted him beaten. He always wanted the bad guys to beat Spider-Man. In in a few issues, he like holds Spider Man down and says, "Look, Vulture, I have him. You know, beat him up now." Oh my god! Yeah, I hate. I don't like Jameson doing that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, but, but now, granted, different. he might mean not like this because like now Spider Man can't save him from being murdered. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, and again, there's no other superheroes in New York because when Spider Man's back, the Kingpin's like, it's like Spider Man stopped us. You didn't tell us that he'd stop us. It's like Thor could have hit him on the head with the hammer, while Daredevil, you know, hit him with the Billy Club, and the Invisible Girl put them in a force field, and then you know the Avengers, you know, yeah, it's. The thing that bugs me about the Marvel universe is the universe. It's a universe only when it's convenient to be a universe. Right. Well, in, in fairness, that's the only way you could, you could tell serialized storytelling with each character. Otherwise, they would run into each other all the time. So, like, they don't have to run into each other all the time. But like, they're because it's a big city, but they're acting like there's no other heroes in the city. But they kind of, I mean, like, they kind of have to. I mean, I, I, I guess with New York, they can like, oh, Spider-Man takes Manhattan. Someone takes it wrong. Someone takes. Uh, no, Jason takes Manhattan. Jason. Sorry, that's a, that's a no. movie title. Muppet- Muppets one of the Friday 13th ones, isn't it? 
Yes. Muppets Take Manhattan. The Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah, the, the Muppets. <laughs> That's something I'm familiar the, with. Yeah, the biggest <laughs> difference between those two films, there's a lot of similarities. The biggest one is that in one film, the characters actually get there, and the others, they don't. <laughs> if Fred, uh, Fred, uh, not Freddy, Jason takes Manhattan. He just about gets to Manhattan by the end of the film. Yeah, by the very end of the film, he finally lands on the island. and Yeah. And then he likes, wow, that was the longest post uh, pre-title sequence ever. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's that was it. So, part two of the big Kingpin story. Spider-Man No More is kind of you know, it was just for the one issue, but it started the Kingpin story, so it's kind of cool. Um, but what do we think of this issue as a whole? I like it. I like. <laughs> I missed the boat on that. Yeah, I, I like it too. Um, I think it's a lot more action-heavy and a little less interesting to talk about, but I still enjoy it for what it is, and, and it is it further establishes what kind of character the Kingpin is with the fight scenes with him and everything. And his style. Yeah, it's definitely the Kingpin's issue. The ads in this one are pretty similar to what we had in the last episode, so I'm not going to talk about all of them. But the uh, there is the house ad for On Sale Now, Not Brand Eck. And the first cover has Doctor Doom, The Thing, Reed Richards, Susan Storm, The Human Torch, The Silver Surfer, and I'm not even sure who that purple guy is, all cowering and scared, and the cat, all cowering and scared from Forbush Man. He's uh, he's in red pajamas and uh, has a cooking pot turned over on his head to cover up his face. And sounds like a Ma Ma Hunkle from DC. Yes, Mm. very, very Ma Hunkle, actually, from DC. It's Uh, not just pajamas, John, it's a onesie. Yes, it's the kind of it's the kind of onesie pajamas that adults wear that have the uh, flap in the back to you can go take a crap during the night. Um, that's, that's something is, we needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> this is a parody comic that would last uh, just under two years. It goes bi monthly for the last few issues before it finally uh, runs its course. Lily loved this series. We read every single story and every single issue that even you know that, that involved any of the character that she cared about. Um, and she she loved it. She thought it was great. It's uh, it's pretty clever. It's full of pop culture references. It's full of um, ma- it makes fun of DC characters all the time because they they change the looks in a silly way and they change the names to silly names like Natman and Rotten and Superman and stuff like that. So you, oh yeah. It runs a strip that sort of chronicles how Superman started out as this sort of you know uh, mild hero and then got all these powers you know over the course of the years until he became uninteresting. Sort of makes fun of him that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun book, but I can only take it in small doses. I think, was it, was it Sergio Arianas or somebody who like, like continued in the nineties or was it, was that another title completely? I've seen seen a lot of like, like parody titles like this in the nineties. There was a what the title in the nineties. Right. Sergio Arianas, he's massively known for mad. Right. I don't know Please. if he did that with short uh, Marvel stuff or not. I think he may have. Aragonés. Emphasis on the last syllable. Yeah, he did Grew the Wanderer. Which at one point was published by Marvel. But that, I mean, that's been published by just about everyone going. If you've had a comic company that's lasted more than a few years, you've published Grew. Uh, he did stuff for Plop. Yeah, I have a list of... not a good name for a magazine at all. <laughs> I have a list of his titles here. It doesn't include anyone that I recognize. I have the solo issue. 
uh, Solo being the uh, DC anthology project where each issue was completely drawn by a different artist and it would be short stories and stuff. And his issue is fantastic. And a Batman story by Mark Evanier to bring it full circle. Yes. From last episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, moving on just through the book to see if there are any ads that are new that I can make fun of. I don't see... Uh, you got the government surplus ad. Just got to that one. Government surplus. A uh, whole bunch of stuff. Save hundreds of dollars. They have pictures of Jeeps and parachutes and rafts and equipment. So yeah, mail a coupon today. It seems to think that Jeeps can be bought for $88, boats for 60 Airplanes for 139. I want to get an airplane for 140 bucks. That'd be awesome. Uh, another 1870 for the parachute. <laughs> the uh, the bullpen bulletins bring us fabulous facts and frivolous fables for frantic fans, faithful friends, and fiendish foes. Where uh, we have an official announcement of the comic, not brand Eck, but they say the wrong name. For several months, they're going to be calling it brand Eck. It's the Brand X comic. So. Oh, man. That's, uh, <laughs> the DC of, War continues. And, yeah. And they, and they pissed off. And they, no, they didn't. They pissed off. They, they were pissed off when the guy wrote the letter last time, put an exclamation mark at the end. Right. We get notice that the first two of this year's King Size specials will be out in June, Sergeant Fury and Millie the Model. And then Daredevil and the Avengers will have specials out the next month with Spidey and the Fantastic Four in August. So be prepared for more annual coverage a few episodes from now. And following that, in September, are the Spider-Man and Fantastic Four cartoons, which get re-announced here. And that are all. those are all the ads over at the Spider's Web. Richard Gromlich and Bill Granatus write a letter together. They want Spider-Man to talk less during the action because there's one point where he says like 20 paragraphs in the middle of one leap. And I'm wondering <laughs> if they heard our uh, reboot episode. They must have. They must have. Somehow in the time warp. Let's do the time warp again. It's just a jump to the left. And then a step to the right. <laughs> With your hands on your hips. Say, any of you guys know how to Madison? Brad, <laughs> please, let's get out of here. Not until we use a phone, Janet. But it seems so unhealthy. They're probably foreigners with ways different from our own. They may do some more folk dancing. <laughs> Y'all have seen that movie way more than I have. I've not seen it at all. My, my dad sings the songs a lot. I was 17. I went to a uh, Halloween party as Frankenfurter, except all I did was wear some tights. Nice. Well, like, now that I look at the, the, the color copy of 51, 51, like, like it just has the like, kingpin and everybody else in, in like a black background. In my copy, like, there's a, there's a full and drawn in office. Where are you looking? The cover yeah, of, of, of issue 51. Uh, oh, you have oh. Like, like details of an office drawn in on your version? Yeah, I, I have the wall and the floor and the curtains and everything. Weird. Well, initially, it's just a pool of light in darkness. And Spidey once again raising his ass to the heavens. That's consistent everywhere. <laughs> so in the letters page, um, somebody <laughs> wants Spider-Man to reveal his identity to Martha Connors for some reason. To Martha yes. Connors? 
It's really random. It's like, ooh, and he should tell his identity to Martha Connors. Like, that's like, yeah, and Batman should tell his identity to, you know, uh, Renee Montoya or something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and Daredevil should tell his identity to Foggy's wife, but not to Foggy. Not to Foggy. Definitely not to Foggy. Yeah, it is kind of random because she's appeared in, what, three issues in the entire run? I mean, he had just read them because this was never issue 47 was new or 48. So 45 and 46 were just like, you know, recent, but still. I love how he thinks it out, too. He's like, don't tell Billy, because Billy's too young to keep it a secret. And don't tell Kirk, because if Kirk becomes the lizard, he might remember. Right. Even though he doesn't remember that he's actually Kirk Connors. We also have complaints in the letters about Peter getting too cool for the character to have the same appeal. He's no longer the loser that he's supposed to be. <laughs> Written by... <laughs> that's, that's, that, that writes itself. Yeah. How do y'all feel about that? Have we talked about that? Do y'all think he's becoming too cool? He's still socially awkward. Does Peter need to be a hard luck hero in order to be the same character? He just needs to be a normal guy. I don't think he was ever like... When he was... In the Ditko era, in the very early stuff, he was a socially awkward based on him, you know, like, you know, being an outcast because of his intelligence and everything. But when he got his powers, he's not really cool. He's just, he's just more assertive. He's not like Fonzie or anything. I don't think... The idea that Spider-Man has to be a loser is so, so wrong-headed. He just needs to be a normal guy because the the concept of the everyman isn't somebody who's on the outs with people. It's just like the guy who just goes through the same things that everybody else does. Right. That's what makes him appealing. Not not that not that he's an outcast. I think that's too much of a of a trope into another into the other direction. If he's if he's more of like a middle ground character in terms of uh, social interaction, it makes it more appealing because we can relate to it rather than pigeonholing the idea that he's one way or the other. There were two letters back to back. S. Allen Wheedler, he uh, tears Mary Jane a new girl hole and saying how terrible she is for Peter. And then Warren Bloom comes and does the exact reverse, saying that Peter should stay away from Gwen. So I guess we're <laughs> like still in the like the five minutes that the Betty Veronica vibe lasted. I, I put in my uh, notes shipper letters because like and, and actually like it really is shippers because like when people watch a show like iCarly or like Glee or something, they'll like no like. They'll note the the most like minute things, like look at the way that this person did this here. Like this shows just how right this person is, or how wrong they are. And one person's like, all Gwen wants to do is show off. Look at her; all she's doing is showing off. And then the other person's like, look at Mary Jane. You know, when there was danger, she instinctively did this. You know, that shows that she's right for Peter. Right. There's a name and for that. I, I can't. Remember, I can't remember what it is though. Like where they take things and they look into them, like like how they are romantically involved. I was, looking at, I was looking at it on TV Chops the other night, but I can't remember. On iCarly, it's like a big thing in the fan base, and they did an episode of the show where like they broke the fourth wall and focused on it. Where like there's this one fan that has like a big blown up image of like Carly and Freddie from season one, where she's like smiling at him in a screenshot, and it's like, look, look here, Carly's smiling at Freddie. That shows that you know Freddie loves Carly more than Sam than Freddie loves Sam. And they're like, oh no, I was just smiling at him because he had cheese on his nose. <laughs> And uh, a while back, I, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was. It might have been just the last episode or two, but it feels while. Uh, someone asked us in our own letters, uh, in our own emails, about when the Master Planner story started being heralded. And Jim Woods writes from New Orleans to say that issue 47 was the most enjoyment he'd had from Spidey since issue 31. So even at the point we're at right now, people are considering that story to be one of the highlights of Spider-Man. Issue 31, wasn't that Man on a Rampage? Or that was 32. 31 was like when he started college. Yeah. 33 is when he left the thing off. 
Well, thirty-one to thirty-three was the was the begin was the master plan story, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Same same general area. Right, where Aunt May lifts the pillars off her head, and uh... <laughs> yeah, Aunt May does it. Sure. <laughs> I must do it for Peter. We'll never get his jacket if I don't. I did it. Next ish, boy, are we in a quandary? We don't know how to tell you how great our next ish will be without selling as though we're boasting. You're going to see uh, action scenes which will make you feel as though you're swinging right along with Spidey. Naturally, the biggest surprise of all is the fact that an actual death occurs in this issue. And the sheer stark drama of it will leave you breathless. So do yourself a favor. Promise not to miss one of the truly great adventure yarns of this, the Marvel Age of Comics. Spider-Man issue 52 is the latest masterwork from the Marvel bullpen, which has become a legend in its own time. So till we meet again, keep your webs untangled. Remember, neatness counts. Enough said. Yay! I, th- I think I kind of stole that from you, John. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. So we will um, we will have the final portion of Amazing Spider-Man, the uh, Kingpin trilogy, in the next episode. And that's going to do it for this episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Thank you very much for listening. Again, next episode will be the final of these Lost Recordings covering Amazing Spider-Man 52. Then one episode where I go through the email inbox and clear everything out there to make room for new emails for our new episodes that will be getting the episode after that. So, thank you very much for listening. My name is John Wilson. On behalf of Josh and Don, thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Spider-Man, Spider-Man Does whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches thieves just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man Is he strong? Listen, bud He's got radioactive blood Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man In the chill of night At the scene of a crime Like a streak of light He arrives just in time Spider-Man, Spider-Man Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man Wealth and fame, he's ignored Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big hang-up. Wherever there's a hang-up, you'll find a Spider-Man. And I'm wondering <laughs> if they heard our uh, reboot episode. They must have. They must have. Somehow, in the time warp. Let's do the time warp again. Make it's just a jump to now. the left. And then it's the <laughs> With your hands on your hips. I bring your knees in tight. Well, it's a pelvic thrust that really drives you insane. Say, <laughs> any of you guys know how to Madison? Brad, <laughs> please, let's get out of here. Not until we use a phone, Janet. But it seems so unhealthy. They're probably foreigners with ways different from our own. They may do some more folk dancing. <laughs> How How do you, uh, way more than I have. <laughs> so you've met <laughs> my faithful handyman. Down, down, down. Because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. <laughs> Don't get strong out by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. 
I'm not much of a man by the light of day. But I'm, by night I'm, uh, was it? By night I'm one hell of hell. a lover. I'm <laughs> I'm the sweet transvestite. From transsexual. Transylvania. Show you around, or maybe play you a sound. You look like you're both pretty groovy. Or if you want something original that's not too abysmal, we could take in an old Steve Reese movie. I'm, I'm glad, glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? Ah, oh, shit, I've forgotten it. We're both in a bit of a hurry. We'll just say where we are and then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. What well, you got? Cut with a flat well. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. Y'all have seen that movie way more than I have. I've not seen it at all. My, my dad sings the songs a lot. I was 17. I went to a Halloween party as Frankenfurter, except all I did was wear some tights. Nice. By the end of the by the end of the podcast, we'll have like done the whole movie. <laughs> I, I actually now that, now that I'm looking because I was looking off my my own copy, looking at the the, the, the seven days. Da, 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 da. I <laughs> can thank you. Okay. Um, uh, dig it if you can. Back on track. What were you saying, Don? 